Hello, listeners. You are listening to Hearth, Home, and Homicide, a family production about family murders. My daughter Caroline and I narrate each story, and son and brother Andy is our producer. As Caroline and I talk about each family murder, we keep sensitivity for victims and their families in mind. Our podcasts do include violence and trauma. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hey, Caroline, how you doing? Hey. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm glad that we're almost finished with the month of February because I don't like to be cold. And <laughs> Me neither. And February is my least favorite simple. month. I, yeah. I just, it's... It's the shortest. It actually packs in a lot of what I see as dangerous winter weather. Uh, yeah, I just yeah. don't like it. I mean, you know, <laughs> Valentine's Day was fun. But beyond that, it's kind of one of those months that invites me to skip over it. Because it, I'm so happy that I get my paycheck two days earlier than any other month. That makes me happy. <laughs> This year's a leap year, though, so it's just one day. <laughs> oh, I didn't need to hear that. Anyway. See, February strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, on that note, today we're going to be talking about something that kind of made me physically, you know, affected. Uh, it's heavy. and. Um, the name of it is kind of weird, too. Uh, we call this anti-free, and you'll understand as the episode continues. And today we're peering behind a sinister curtain to expose a dark, cold place. Actually, not a place. It's a person. Her name is Stacy Castor. She's a family wrecking ball of a killer. And, you know, we, we often comment that every family murderer is really essentially a family annihilator because of the ripple effect. Um, and so let's get started. Stacy Castor was smart, very smart, uh, until she tried to manipulate everyone into thinking that she was a grieving wife and mother. And that's when in my opinion, her thinking brain shut down and her ice water veins took over and did all the thinking for her and she got caught. And that's where the family murder comes in. But not before she had broken almost everybody's everything. And I think that's why it got to me so much. So here we go. Stacy Castor was born in a town called Clay, which I personally find ironic because when I look at pictures of Stacy Castor and videos, I see a face like a mask. I digress, but I, I just do not like this lady, as you can probably tell. Clay is a town in New York, and Stacy was born into this world on July 24, 1967. She was a very cute baby and toddler, according to me, because I've seen pictures of her and videos of her and her little brother. Home videos, I should say. In a 2020 interview with David Muir, Stacy's mom is interviewed by David Muir, and she said that Stacy was smart, very smart and cute, 
very inquisitive because she had a need to know why, 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 like most toddlers and kids. But Stacy, according to her mother, was why at such a frequency that the mother finally had to reduce her to only three whys a day are allowed to control her. A uh, psychology major might uh, be able to write a thesis on this dynamics, but, um, you know, what happens when you try to limit a toddler to three of anything that she wants to do? But uh, let's move forward. Stacy made it clear to her family that she wanted to go into the law. She made it, she made very good grades and she had this vision. So, so far, I just really like her. She's, you know, focused. She wants to know what the hell is going on in this planet. She just, uh, you know, she has a vision for what she wants to do with her life. I think those, that's impressive. Is this one of those type A personalities people are always throwing out there? Yeah, I think like, so. Yeah. Probably. I think that's part, or it could be just her, um, maybe she was into uh, something black and white, mm. which sometimes the law can be. Or like uh, winning. I think a lot of people yes, want to be lawyers because they like winning. I mean, yes, the law isn't about right and wrong necessarily. I know that's yep. about justice, but it's about winning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I. Good point. You, good point. At 17, however, this lawyer wannabe or whatever part of the law she wanted to be in, you know, she met a life of the party boy named Michael Wallace. And after three years of dating, they decided to tie the knot. So she got married at 22. Stacy Castro married Michael Wallace on April 7th, 1990. I've seen a picture of him, Caroline, at uh, their wedding and he looked broad-faced and hopeful and smiling, and he was ready to go. He was sporting the hairstyle of the time, or maybe just after it, the mullet. Remember the mullet? Oh, yes. That okay, made it come back, yeah. strangely enough. <laughs> it, it, it was just coming in, or it was just going out, but, you know, a lot of people had the mullet. And uh, he, was, he was just a happy, mulleted groom, you know, <laughs> and I, his name was Michael. And... Um, Mike was the life of the party. If you needed something that Mike had, he would give it to you. Now, that is a uh, quote from Stacy Castor herself. She also appeared on the 2020 with David Muir. Mm. Unfortunately, you know, the marriage didn't go very well. Although they did have two daughters. Ashley and Sister Bree, and more about them later. That's who our story's really about in the end. But anyway, kind of, we'll see. <laughs> Apparently, Michael Wallace did have a drug and alcohol problem, and it started young in his life. Kind of, you know, when somebody says, oh, he's a party man, you know, he's a party boy, it can, that can sometimes mean, you know, drugs and alcohol. And he never, he never gave that up, I don't think. He held down a job during the day as a mechanic. And Stacy worked nights at an ambulance dispatch. Um, I find that ironic or maybe a foreshadowing um, of things to come. But anyway, she worked nights. They, the upshot of that is that they were on opposite shifts, you know, and they didn't see each other that much. 
And um, maybe that helped their marriage last as long as it did. <laughs> but in fact, Stacy saw a lawyer in the winter of 1999. Now, um, remember, they got married in 1990. So we're talking about nine years of marriage. But she told the lawyer when she saw him that, I just want to have one more happy Christmas for the girls, and then I'll divorce Michael. So they had their Christmas that year, and Michael wasn't feeling very well. He was just not himself. He was getting sicker and sicker. He'd get sick off and on, but each time it would get worse. Eventually, he couldn't even walk straight. He felt drunk, even though he had stopped drinking at that point, which was probably not easy for him, or maybe it was, you know, scared straight. Yeah. Anyway, he sought medical, medical attention, with his doctor noting that he may have had an inner ear disorder. And I have had that myself. I have uh, vertigo one time that lasted quite a long time, and it was an inner ear issue. And that is not fun. And you literally, you can't walk that well. Um, anyway, so I, I, I feel I have a lot of compassion for Michael at this point because he doesn't know what the hell's going on. Finally, the daughter, do, doctor said inner ear disorder. But just weeks later, Michael Wallace was found unresponsive on the sofa in the family room of their home, and he was later pronounced dead at the hospital. Unfortunately, Stacy had left the house and left her daughter Ashley to stay with the dad. And she, Ashley, was in the room with Michael that day. Now she she was she wasn't that old. No, you know, she she, she was little been nine or less, right? I mean she was. But have it been left a mark on her. It yeah. left a mark. Michael was making pain noises at first, and then his arm shot up in the air, and then it just collapsed, and now it's hanging down off the sofa. And after that, Ashley's father became non-responsive, and Ashley called her mother, who called 911, but it was too late. Now, don't you think an autopsy would be in order in a situation like this, Caroline? Uh, you know how I feel about autopsies. Everybody gets one. I mean, at your birthday, you you get uh, swaddling and you get a lot of regular stuff at the hospital. I think the exit door should be working the same way for us all because it's just important to know what happened. But also, like you said, you know, I, I saw a couple things on this and Ashley, who I think is a really strong, smart person, like this did leave a mark on her. And I think there's nothing that she could have done differently, nothing that could have happened differently that would have changed the outcome. And I know that that doesn't mean anything coming from me. But at the same time, like I just, you know, I feel bad for her. This is more than just she's lost a father. She was present and probably carries some kind of a odd, irrational responsibility about that. And I would have no clue what that feels like. But I just know that it's hard for me not to think that the mother knew this was possible for her daughter. You know what I mean? I don't know. Absolutely. It's upsetting. I, uh, you know, of course, Stacy knew 
that something was going to happen to Michael eventually, but she didn't know when. But the idea that she knew it was imminent because he's laying down on the sofa and can't get up, yeah, and she knows what's going on inside of him, even if the doctor didn't know. Right. I just think the idea of her leaving her daughter with Michael is just sadistic. Yeah, awful. It's just very dark. So it would, to I think almost everybody, be a perfectly obvious thing to autopsy a grown man who's healthy, who lays down on his couch and dies. Now, that's a quote from Michael Benson, who authored the book Mommy, Dear, Mommy Deadliest about Castor's case. But doctors told Stacy that they thought it was a heart attack. Three different doctors in the emergency room said this is a heart attack. Benson uh, said in his book that everybody was in agreement, except his sister, who wanted an autopsy, and uh, everybody else was saying what they were saying. And so Stacy said, "No." Thank you for telling me what you think killed him. That's good enough for me. Bam. The end. No autopsy. I hate that. I just do. I, I mean, I'm with Mr. Benson. It seems perfectly obvious to me that uh, an accidental death of, of someone who shouldn't be dying like that at that age, even a heart attack is like, I think, you know, when you're not 80, <laughs> you should be looking deeper into that. What caused that? I don't know. Everyone should I agree. After Wallace's death at the age of 38, 38, so he was robbed. That's pretty Castor young. collected. Maybe 40 something. No, he's 38. <laughs> he's young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once you're in your 40s, you at least have, you know, half your life. Right. Approximately. Um, Castor collected a $55,000 life insurance policy. She remodeled their home. And then she took Ashley and Bree to Disneyland. Okay. I mean. That's stretching that 55000 pretty far, if you ask me. I feel like it's well, that much to Disneyland. Well, 55000 back then is probably 150 now, 200 yes. I don't know. I, you're right, though, because, you know, when I look at what it takes to just, like, come in your house and fix your dishwasher. I know. <laughs> $2,000, please. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, mean, I you know, I guess next time my dishwasher breaks, I'm going to just get some paper plates and call it good. <laughs> Stacy met her second husband, David Castor, through their boss, through her boss, in 2001. So this is just a couple of years later. They were married August 16, 2003, and she took his surname, Castor. David Muir also interviewed Stacy Castor for that 2020, as I said, and he asked Stacy to describe her second husband, David Castor, and she said, David was very conscientious, very driven, very into outdoors. Now, she didn't say it like I just did it because I like my voice. I don't know. My voice kind of goes up and down depending on how horrified I might be. But she, she said it like, David is very conscientious, very, I mean, you know, flat. Mm. She's got a somewhat flat affect. 
He had snowmobiles, she said, and four-wheelers and a boat. David was support and strength and security to me. Uh-huh. That's probably a tell. Yeah. Support, strength, and security. The truth is that David owned his own HVAC business, so he's probably doing pretty good, very successful. And he had a lot of outdoor-oriented, expensive equipment because he, when he wasn't running his business, he liked to play outdoors. And, you know, those girls. Yeah. Yeah, You play play hard. That's, he's earned it. You know, you're mucking around with everybody's air conditioning and heating all the time. And, you know, why not do what you love to do on your time off? Each of them, plus you're running the business. Yeah, that's that's the hardest part right there. I agree. And I think folks that do that and you can tell like they got an HVAC business and they're running the business and they're, you know, they're doing really well for themselves. Like they would be doing that anyway. You know what I mean? That they're just in it. They're in it to win it. They like working with people. They like working with the stuff. So, I mean, just off the page, this is what's leaping off of me about this man. I don't actually know him. I haven't met him, but he seems like a saltier type guy. Right. Now, remember when I said that Stacy said he was very conscientious, very work-driven, and she said that he represented strength and security support for her. Well, that's interesting that she did not say for my family, because Mm. what happened was each one of them had uh, children from previous marriage. David had one grown son. His name was David Jr. And Stacy had two daughters, Ashley and Bree. And Castor told Muir in 2009 her daughters were not happy at all about the marriage. They did not want their father to be replaced. And she said David was difficult with the kids. He expected them to do everything that he said without question. And being my children, they questioned everything everything, (laughs) referring back to her toddlerhood where she said, why, 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 got reduced to three times a day. But, you know, there are plenty of um, interviews and uh, newspaper articles and featuring this this woman, this killer, Stacey Castor, and they say that David flat out said, I'll marry you, but I'm not marrying your kids. I've raised my son, and I do not want to raise somebody else's children. That's really ugly. I wouldn't ever hang out with someone like that. Would I think it's important for people to say that if that's the truth for them? He has a right to say that and act that way and be that way. Why would you marry someone like that? You have daughters. Like, go to your daughters. (laughs) Again, just a little bit of sadism there. Yeah. You know, that's mean. Your daughters need you. Plus, it's only been two years. If I were the daughters, I wouldn't want that either because I want my dad still. You know, it just happened right. two years ago. I mean, I'm so far removed from my the loss of my father, which was not a murder and it was not sudden. And I still want him every day. So I, well, I could 15 see. years is nothing when right. you remember your dad and he's not here. Right. So for her, it just happened in children your heart. to you. Yes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's yes. scary. I didn't know that he said that. You're not as nice salt of the earth to me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that she had a rosier description of it. You know, she being Stacy. Yeah. Um, 
I believe what other reporters said. He made yeah. it very clear. I have no interest in your daughters. Well, then how did they raised, get to the altar? I don't she... know. Again, sadism. Anyway, on August 22nd, 2005, Stacy Castor made a frantic call to 911. By now, she's pretty um, good at that. Anyway, saying her husband hadn't shown up for work uh, on Monday, August 22nd. So she's calling up 911. You know, I'm calling because my husband did not show up for work. Uh, she claimed that she last spoke to him at 5 a.m. Sunday, and that's when he locked her out of the bedroom. Huh. So they had had a seven-hour fight, which means that they fought all night yeah. when she last saw him on Sunday. And the fight had been about the girls, according to Stacy. Yeah, let's huh. just, you know, leave a legacy of regret for your children, why don't you? Seven-hour fight. Do I believe that? Uh, no. Yes. I don't know. I mean, but, that's, I mean she's right, saying though, 10, 10 he locked to me 5 out. He, <laughs> he locked me out. She she last spoke to him at 5 a.m. Sunday, and she's calling uh, 911 the next day. So Sergeant Michael Norton of the Onondaga... Onondaga County Sheriff's Office said that Stacy Castor described David's behavior that weekend as, quote, David got upset. He took a bottle of Southern Comfort, went into the bedroom, locked himself in, and reportedly got drunk. He would not come out. Castor told Diane Lahinsky, then detective with the Onondaga Sheriff's Office, that she assumed she being Stacy, she assumed he was just sleeping it off. She told her friend at the time. Now, if that's true, why would she call 911? Yeah, if right. She's, yeah. Anyway, she told good her call. friend at the time. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that's a good call. She's she's juggling too many variations of the same story. The one with 911, the one with her friend, the one with the neighbors, the one with the kids. Like it's too many uh -huh. different variations. That's a really good point. And I've known, I know that feeling, but it's not a, from lying. It's from trying to remember how I got a certain thing from technology that right. I now cannot replicate because it was all just a mashing buttons on my computer. Right. So, I mean, how do I replicate I, understand, that? I equate that with lying. If you lie and lie and lie and lie <laughs> and lie, you're never going to be able to get back into your box of lies. Yeah, you can't do it the same every time. Plus, she's no. showing up differently for these different people, right? There's slight augmentations. Like she's telling her husband, who she's just killed her second husband, one thing about the daughters, and then she's, I'm sure she's telling her daughters one a different thing about the new husband, and so on and so forth, right? Until you are 17 versions deep, <laughs> right? She even told her friend at the time, da Danny Coleman. Uh, she knew he was sleeping because when she put her ear up to the door, she could hear him sleeping. I think you probably mean snoring, yeah. don't you think, Stacy? <laughs> anyway, how is she going to hear through a locked door that somebody's sleeping? Yeah, I Good mean, Lord. the sleep breaths and the regular breaths are probably similar, especially if you're drunk, you know? The drunk breathing yeah. is pretty standard. dead to be no sleeping man. <laughs> anyway, police arrived, of course, after the 911 call that Stacy had made that Monday. Now, I'm thinking since she 
called and reported that he didn't show up for work. This is probably nine or 10 in the morning. Mm. And uh, she said the last time she saw him was at 5 a.m. And she thought he was sleeping it off. So why did you call 911? Is what I'm thinking. Stacey, you're just blundering here. You got away with murder once. Now you think that you just have the magic touch and you're not even thinking things through. But the 911 people came. They knocked down the door to find David Castor dead of an apparent suicide. Now, where do you think they got the idea that it was an apparent suicide? So, (laughs) Caroline, you and I have seen pictures of the bedside table and some of that scene. And so we saw what responders saw. There's blood and vomit all over the place, bed. There was some stuff on the table. And when I say stuff... I mean, police found two glasses on the nightstand, glasses as in that you drink out of, on the nightstand next to the bed, one containing what was later identified as antifreeze. Now, the main ingredient in antifreeze is ethylene glycol, which is a poison. Hmm. Underneath the bed, they found a bottle of antifreeze with its top off. So if you're looking at the crime scene photos, At this point, it's being treated as a suicide scene, sort of, but it's really a crime scene. Anyway, you see the blue bottle of, you know, antifreeze with its top off kind of hanging under the bed, half under the bed and half where you can see it, almost like it was planted. But Mm -hmm. there it is. It's, you know, what I think is interesting about this is I read in an article that under that bed further in was a shotgun. You know, if a man's going to kill himself, you sure you want to shred your guts and organs with antifreeze? Why not just pop yourself one bullet into the head? But anyway, I digress. Um, You can tell when you look at this picture that it's antifreeze in the glass, because for those of you who've seen antifreeze, you know that it has that green day glow appearance. Mm-hmm. It really looks radioactive. Yeah. If you've ever seen it, you know what I'm talking about. On the bedside table next to the glass uh, that had the antifreeze in it was an empty glass and an empty bottle of liquor and an empty bottle of cranberry juice. Hmm. So police found a uh, this bottle of uh, antifreeze, not bottle, it's a, like a it's jug. like a blue canister kind of a thing. Oh, okay. Kind of like the way your oversized laundry detergent, the big jugs, like yeah, the big it's a big self- jug. Absolutely. Like can, yes. Yeah. Um so when police searched the kitchen, they didn't know what they were looking for, but they were in there and they were looking. I like this team. Yeah. <laughs> and they found a turkey baster apparently smelling of alcohol at the time, just, you know, to the nose. And it was disposed of in the trash can, kind of buried with a paper towel over it. And this is when these investigators started suspecting foul play. They didn't say anything about it to Stacy, of course. They just are looking at each other like, "Uh uh-huh. Lahensky said that Stacy claimed that David had been depressed because he'd recently lost his father. 
and that possibly his drinking and suicide that weekend was a result of him being depressed about his father's death. So wow, Caroline, have you, have you ever watched uh, Columbo, you know? Oh, you know I have. <laughs> I know. And Columbo always gets that uh, killer to talk and give suggestions about how this might have happened. Well, here's Stacy doing that very thing. I mean, why doesn't a killer ever say, I have no idea. Quit talking to me. I'm not talking I, to you without my lawyer. That's what they should any say. any of them say, well, that's your job. You let me know. <laughs> Good point. Those who knew him, including his ex-wife, Janice Poisson Farmer, rejected the idea that Castor had killed himself. Here I'm talking about David Castor. She said, no, no way. I almost said no effing way, but she said, <laughs> no way. He's not going to kill himself. That's not who he is. He's a life lover. Like, he wanted to play. He didn't even want kids around at this point. Like, so I right. kind of... I'm with her. He runs a business. Yeah. He, you know, he is uh, somebody who has ambition. Yes. And, you know, I don't think the death of his father, uh, you know, that's not that unusual. Once you hit your 40s, your 50s, whatever, you're, you know, losing parents uh, is kind of sad and hard to deal with, but it's the natural progression. Anyway, an autopsy was conducted, but of course the crystals found in Michael's organs were expected because it did look like he had holed himself up in his room and killed himself with ethylene glycol, which is the active ingredient in antifreeze, as I said. Stacy Castor made another 50000 on his death, and in this case, Caroline, that was just the beginning. Because remember, he has a business. Oh, yeah. And he has expensive toys. Oh, he's got assets. And he, <laughs> yes, yes. From 2005 to 2006, a detective by the name of Dominic Spinelli of the Onondaga County Sheriff's Department continued to remain skeptical. And I believe he was actually at the scene when the turkey baster was found. And that would set off skepticism in just about anybody. And he he began a quiet investigation that lasted two years. He was at the death scene, as I said, of David Castor. And he had a feeling that all was not right. And that turkey baster in the trash and the idea that David Castor would kill himself... Everybody who knew him said, no way. Stacy was very eager to say, oh, he killed himself. He, he was just, so depressed. Yeah, yeah she was he, painting the picture. He's just saying, you know, these, this, these pieces do not fit in this puzzle. Yeah. That, that, this is, there's a different puzzle going on over here, and what yeah. she just said does not fit. So he put together a team. At some point, Spinelli and his team of investigators decided to exhume the body of Michael Wallace. Oh. I love this. Yes. I love this. Michael's been down there waiting. 
and that now they've exhumed him to see if his organs contain the telltale crystals associated with antifreeze because on his death certificate, cause of death was heart attack. So there's no reason these crystals should form in the organs of Michael. But yes, Michael, fun-loving husband and father, was literally shot through with telltale crystals of ethylene glycol. He did not die of a heart attack. Detectives also found that in David Castor's will, he left everything to his wife, Stacy, and her two daughters, Ashley and Bree. And he left nothing to his son, David Jr., Caroline. That doesn't you make any sense. No, you didn't... leave nothing to your son? The only one you cared about? Like, he didn't care about the daughters. He made that clear. No. Yeah. I mean, this made no sense to anyone who knew anything about this situation. Right. It was uh, well known that David didn't really want to or try to father Ashley and Bree. He already had a beloved son named David Castor Jr. There was simply no way he would cut David Jr. out of his will. And poor David, in an interview that I saw of him after the trial, said he was left feeling like he was greatly unloved by his father and he just didn't realize it. He didn't understand it. And he just couldn't come to terms with it. And it was just so sad. What a misery Stacey Castor put on this man. Yeah, that's a that's a well, that's a worldview shaker because yeah, I can't. I'm just trying to imagine myself in that situation. First of all, because hearing that your father has died is already its own somewhat tragic sort of experience, and then and then you have to try to digest this thing that doesn't make sense to you because it's not real. David no, Jr. hell no, but, it I doesn't mean, make any sense. It doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. I mean, I can see a will that says I'm going to leave this account over here to my son. I'm going to live this account over here to this charity. I'm going to do this and this with the toys and my son is going to get the house. It's just to say that he, David Castor, would leave everything to this wife and her daughters. He wouldn't write it that way. I was just thinking that. That's not, he would still parse it out anyway. (laughs) That's how wills are done. (laughs) And you know the irony of this? Stacy Castor, once again, being sadistic to this poor boy. Well, he's not a boy anymore. He's a grown man. David Castor Jr. Being married to David, she didn't need a will like that. Yeah. She's married to him. Right. She's married to him. Stacy Castor would not have the... HVAC business and the physical property and the life insurance proceeds of 50K just because she wrote this fake will. Right. She would have it all, all. Yeah. But she didn't think that through. She's kind of gotten cocky in her craft of killing. I was just going to say, it's almost like leaving a suicide note that says, like, I swear, I really did kill myself. You know, it's just like, what are yeah. you doing? Who am I may concern? This is going to look like my wife did it. But believe me, I did it to myself. Yeah. I mean, it's just almost silly. <laughs> 
It is silly. Three months after Castor's death, David Castor's death, Spinelli reached out to nearby Cayuca County investigators about the death of Michael Wallace to learn more. And he told investigators that he thinks that there's a lot of similarities between these two husbands' deaths. And that's how it came to be that they exhumed Michael's body. Thank goodness. Stacy claimed that Michael Wallace had all sorts of medical issues. So investigators went and got his medical records at that at this time, now that they're known now that they see that two husbands are dead. The worst medical condition of record that Michael Wallace ever had, Caroline. Remember, he was 38 when he died. The only thing he was ever treated for, hernia. Wow. Impressive as a mechanic. Usually you have like a broken finger here and there, missing toe or missing fingernail or something. Oh, for sure. Pretty good. For sure. (laughs) At this point in the investigation, law enforcement suspected both of Stacey Castor's Husbands were poisoned with antifreeze. It's a very painful death. It leads to these formations in the victim's organs. And again, that's why they decided to exhume Michael's body. So just a reminder that they exhumed that body on September 7th, 2007. And uh, they did find the crystals. And he was shot up with crystals. That's their verbiage, not mine. But the prosecutor is going to need more than all this circumstantial evidence. They wanted direct evidence of some sort. So here's what they did, Caroline. They put surveillance cameras at the grave site. Now, buckle up, Caroline, and listeners, because Michael Wallace and David Castor were buried next door to each other like two headstones where you might put grandma and grandpa and mom and dad. And over here, you're going to put the kids later. Right. You know what I'm saying? These are tight next door to each other. Caskets are kissing every day under the (laughs) ground. That's where Stacy Castor put these two men. What? That's almost creepy. Oh. Yeah. And they put surveillance up because sometimes people talk at the gravesite. But some killers of their husbands, Caroline, never once go to the graves. Oh, no way. They don't visit like a grieving widow probably would. Oh, yeah. Police also set up a camera at Castor's home as well as the one at the graveyard where the husbands were buried like Siamese twins. I'm sorry, but they're it's, so close together. It is together. weird to me. Yeah. I always picture yeah, plots as weird. being by she's, like. She's the, a control freak. I don't know. And in fact, if you look at the headstones in some pictures, uh, or uh, you've got uh, Michael Castor over here on the left. You've got those headstone for David Cat, Michael Wallace, Wall- excuse yeah. me. And then, uh, then you've got David Castor right next door. But his name is on the right of the headstone and her name is on the left as if when her time comes to die she's going to be between the two of them this is so weird this is why i'm going to be cremated also this is a weird set of situations i don't ever want to be in me too anyway they set up cameras at her house they wiretapped her phone And they say that it was on one of these phone calls where they learned that 
Stacy had been to the cemetery, not to the gravesite of her husband, David Castor, but just looking on from the sidelines because she wanted to see Wallace's body being exhumed. So she knew the body had been exhumed. So on September 7th, 2007, two days after the exhumation and autopsy of Michael Wallace, where they found shot through with crystals, Spinelli brought Stacy Castor in for questioning. And during that line of questioning, Stacy Castor made a noticeable, noticeably suspicious response. Again, brace yourself. Spinelli asked Stacy, do you remember which glass it was that you poured the cranberry juice in? And she looked at the crime scene picture of the bedside table. She saw the glasses. Finally, she answered, well, when I poured the antifree, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, when I poured the cranberry juice. Oh, my gosh. It's like almost like too good to be true. Like you almost have to wonder like, okay, really? It was that easy? I just had to get you in a room and relax? I mean, what is that? It's two things. A Freudian slip. It's also Shakespeare. The truth will out. Yes. Well, what do they call it in law enforcement? It's like the guilty utterance or something like presence. um, uh, Let's see. It's something utterance. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. But it's where you basically... An excited utterance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know deep down you did it. Also consciousness of guilt. Yes. The the consciousness of guilt will sometimes come out in words. Yes. That's why they say don't ever sit down with the police if you're going to kill somebody. But I, you know, I want to continue all the killers out there to go on and talk to police. You should together. I'm sure that you're perfect enough that you can get through it. (laughs) When the detective picked up on her slip of the tongue... I mean, he said, oh, so you put it, you put ethylene, you put the antifreeze in the cup or whatever she said. She accused him of trying to frame her and she stopped the interview. And then on September 12th, 2007, something dastardly low down and horrifying happened, Caroline. On September 12th, 2007, Ashley Wallace was attending her first day at college. Now think about that. Ashley Wallace... This is the little girl mm-hmm. who was present when her daddy died yeah. by design by the mother. She's now made it to college. She's going to college during the day. She was attending her first day at college when two investigators arrived at the school to deliver the news that her father had died of antifreeze poisoning. Now, she knew her father was dead, of course, but what? Yeah. He died of antifreeze poison? It wasn't a heart attack? Right. What? Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine just the The panic? Like, what? She was so shaken up. She was so shaken. She called her mother. Police wiretaps recorded Castor asking her daughter questions about her conversations with the detectives. Castor then suggested that they have a drink together that night when she got home from 
college because they've had a really hard day, both of them. They've just really had a hard day. Castor mixed up a drink, and Ashley Wallace drank it. Ashley became lethargic and eventually passed out, and she wound up in her bedroom. The next day, she got up. She had a hangover. She didn't feel good, but she went to school anyway. That's our girl. Anyway, she went to school, and she came home, you know, not feeling good. Castor said, let's get drunk again because let's just do an early celebration of your 21st birthday. So Ashley drank another cocktail, hoping it would make her feel better, I bet you. Her mom had prepared it for her, so all she had to do was sit there and sip it and drink it. And the drink didn't taste very good to her. So her mom got her a straw and told her to put the straw to the back of her throat. In other words, over the taste buds. Mm-hmm and down the throat, just to drink it. So Ashley did as she was told by her mother. Probably part of her wanted to please her mother. Probably part of her wanted to escape the illness that she had all day. Yeah, plus she's got all this stuff going on. She did find out about her dad. Her stepdad is gone under strange circumstances. Like, I mean... I can't imagine this date of just all over the place she would have been otherwise. And then now she's now she's ultimately fighting for her life, but doesn't know it. Yeah, you know, one of the things that came out in the writing about this murder was that Stacy Castor and her husband Michael Castor each selected one of the girls to be their favorites. Mm. That's how they that's how they ran their family. And Ashley was the favorite of Stacy Castor. And Bree was the favorite of Michael Cat, not Castor, Wallace. Excuse yeah. me, Wallace. Yeah. So Michael Wallace and Stacy Stacy Wallace at the time, his wife, they picked which child was going to be the favorite. Stacy would later say, well, I could tell that Michael favored Bree, so I decided to dote on Ashley. Right. But I believe differently. I think they probably weirdly set it up that way, but I don't know. I wasn't there. All right. I know is that there was a favorite known to the children and known to the parents. And that, that comes up later. So back to the early birthday party, second day, drunk fest with the mom and we've got Ashley drinking you know sipping bypassing the taste buds and going down her throat whatever her mother has made for her this cocktail and um later on after she drunk quite a bit she became very tired and after she drank and was finished and kind of staggered into her room she laid down The next morning, September 14th, 2007, Bree Wallace found her sister barely breathing. Okay, uh, you know, what is it about Stacey Castor that she always makes one of her daughters find the person that is her victim? No kidding. But Bree Wallace found her sister barely breathing. She was terror struck. 
she and her sister were all that they felt each other had because their mother got married. Yeah, it's true. They really were. The bond there was just solid. And this was a nightmare for Brie to find her sister near death. She was screaming at her mother, who finally called 911. Stacy relayed to the 911 dispatcher that Ashley had consumed alcohol and quite a few doses of medication, according to Detective Spinelli. On top of this scene of horror, Bree found a 750-word typewritten letter that appeared to be written by Ashley with her typed signature confessing to the murders of her father and her stepfather and saying that she was now going to take her own life. This is where I like really start to hate Stacey Castor and really kind of push her so far outside the realm of other human being that it becomes difficult to have any compassion at all because this is diabolical to me. Uh, yeah, it really is. Castor took the letter from Bree, give me that letter, and told 911 that there was a suicide note. She made a very big splash about that to the 911 operator. When I say she told, I mean, Castor really, really wanted the 911 dispatcher to know that there was a suicide note. This letter was a hot mess, Caroline. More on that later. I mean, there's some things about that letter that are just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. One of the, one of the podcasts I listen to about different cases, he has a cup that says, my, uh, my eye roll cannot get any higher. That's how <laughs> I feel about this whole hot mess. Like my eye roll cannot get any higher. That's from uh, Live From My Couch podcast, if you want to listen to it. He's hilarious. Anyway, back to our scene. Castor took the letter from Bree, made a big deal about it. Made a, The letter is just a hot mess that, you know, I can explain. At the hospital, Ashley had a cornucopia of drugs in her system. So the doctors immediately found out what was in there. They, several doctors in the ER and her primary care, so many people have said she was about 15 minutes from dying. Whoa. 15 minutes. Can you imagine if Bree had not pitched that fit, call 911, mom, call 911. Right? Oh my gosh. Bree saved her sister's life. Oh, big time. And in, in like the nick of time. I mean, it's scary to me. 15 minutes. You know, 15 gone. minutes. Because yeah. remember, she was drugged on two days. Two well, right. days straight. She left and came back, you know, for even though she Stacey, didn't feel Stacy Castor knows she cannot poison her with ethylene glycol. Right. She knows that the cops are on to her about right. that. So she's trying to kill her with drugs, and she almost did it. 15 Jeez, minutes. Please. Wallace woke up in the hospital shocked at where she was, shocked when she heard what had happened and the things that she was seeing going on around her, cops wanting to talk to her, sister is just gushing tears. When Ashley was told that there was a suicide note indicating that she had killed her father and stepfather, Ashley was stupefied. 
Mm-hmm. She emphatically informed everyone assembled that she did not try to kill herself, nor did she leave a suicide note, nor did she kill her father or her stepfather. I mean, she just was clear enough in the head to say that. Yeah, but I mean, can you imagine waking up and that's the story that people are telling you and no. you have to like defend yourself against that? I mean, I the surrealness of what these daughters have been put through is just cuckoo to Unbelievable. Me. I told yeah. you to buckle up. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is just, you know, this is like bad rubbed into bad, rubbed into bad, yeah. and then emblazoned with bad. I mean, Stacey Castor is... She's a lot of things, a killer, but she's sadistic. She's yes. uh, she's I just know. horrifying. She's yeah. just horrible. And remember I said at the beginning, if you look at her picture, she's got she's got ice water in her veins and she has the face of a mask. She's just yeah. she you can't she just is just running cold. Yeah. Cold, cold. Okay, so anyway, here comes the good part. September the same day, I gotta I gotta look at my notes about what day it was because it's just like a bit red letter day for me. It was the same day that um, Ashley woke up from almost being dead. Stacy Castor uh, was arrested at the hospital okay. and charged with the murder of David Castor and attempted murder of Ashley. Now I want to make something clear: the reason she was not um arrested for the murder of Michael Wallace is because he was murdered in a different county. Mm. Okay. Stacy Castor's mother, Judy Eaton, does not believe her daughter is guilty. They were blaming Stacy for this, she said. I kind of went hysterical. This she's talking to David Muir on 2020. Mm-hmm. I kind of went hysterical. I cannot believe Stacy has it in her to kill two men, especially men that she's supposed to love. I do not believe Stacy did it. She would not frame Ashley. So we're just not going to talk about how she almost killed Ashley. We're just going to like gently not include that. <laughs> Is it possible that mommy dearest, the senior, the mother of Stacy Castor, somehow? brought up her daughter to think that she and she alone had needs and only her needs mattered. Right. Um, It really bugs me that she came out and said she did not frame Ashley. Mm -hmm. That there's the implication there that Ashley wrote that note. Well, that's what I mean. You're abandoning your granddaughters for the sake of this woman who, though you may not believe it, has clearly had a hand in the death of two grown men, you know? It's just, uh, it's a frustrating, it's a frustrating sentiment from the mom. I mean, I guess one could say that they would understand a mom saying that, but not after everything that we just walked through that Stacy had done. Our listeners who have followed us through to the second season know that one of our dogs is going to start barking and that was just Fiona and she might start it again. And I'm sorry. She's very disturbed by this particular case, by the way, because she's very attuned to her mama. So is Pippin, her brother. And, and writing this uh, script, making notes and, and kind of digging into the Stacey Castor case. I'm telling you, 
I hurt on the inside. I know. I had so much empathy for these girls. Well, yeah. And these these murder victims. Yeah. It's just horrifying. So Fiona probably picked up on that and doesn't want me to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it this one last time. So anyway, Stacey Castor's mom believes her daughter's innocent. She doesn't believe that she framed Ashley. Great. Stacey Castor was indicted on one count each of second-degree murder, second-degree attempted murder, and a plot to, to present a forged will. So they're getting her on forging that will. Oh. Stacy Castor had already hired defense attorney Chuck Keller, who would follow the line of defense that Ashley was the one responsible for killing uh, David Castor and consequently also the previous dad, Michael Wallace, and that Ashley also attempted to kill herself. So she got a crap attorney who was willing to advance this idea. What the muck, Chuck? Way to hang out there in the lower rungs of the justice system. <laughs> there are some other uh, rhyming words that I could say about Chuck Keller, mm-hmm. but you and I know what that is. Prosecutor Fitzpatrick, that was the name of the prosecutor who prosecuted the case, said that there was compelling evidence against Castor. He was a prosecutor who loved forensics. And now he had a computer, the computer that Stacy Kester used as evidence. The 720-word letter, okay, now brace yourself. Usually when you're writing a letter on a computer or you're writing a paper or something like that, you get about 300 words to the page. Okay. Because, you know, you're using a font that people can actually read and you're using spacing that people can actually get through. And there's going to be paragraph endings in the beginning of a new paragraph. There's going to be punctuation and so forth. Well, this 720 letter, excuse me, 720 word letter had been typed out without punctuations, no paragraphs. Just run-on sentences, run-on sentences for 70, 20, 720 words on one sheet of paper. Just run-on <laughs> words, Caroline, claiming that the writer, Ashley, had killed her dad and her stepdad and was now killing herself. Fitzpatrick was able to show, through forensics, evidence on the computer showing revisions to the letter that had been made whilst Ashley was in college classes. Nice. And, of course, there are going to be professors. There's going to be all kinds of people who can say where where she was, Ashley was, when somebody changed this letter, and the only person having access to it was Stacy. Yeah. Uh, So Stacy, we know, did not write the letter, but here's my the reason that I, you and I called this episode anti-free, the letter also spelled antifreeze, A-N-T-I-F-R-E-E, anti-free, throughout the letter. Only Stacy Castor pronounces antifreeze that way, according to a linguistics investigator who determined that of all the people who could have possibly done this through 
means motive and opportunity. They don't call it that. Yep. I love I love language. I love forensics. I love it all. Because it's yes. true. Some people hear different noises. Like there's this hilarious video about Tupperware. There's a guy that calls it Tupperware. And he literally was like 20 something before someone corrected him. And he's like, no way. So I mean, these subtle, subtle sounds. And it freeze. That Z is so subtle. So if you've never heard it and you're walking around thinking you know what you're talking about. Oh, this is just like gold to me. But I, I do want to say yeah. a couple things. Like, I want to go back to the defense attorney. Chuck, I don't like you and I don't like what your stance was, but everyone deserves defense. That's how our justice system works. And so I do want to kind of backpedal on that a little bit. Stacey, you deserve to have exactly what's afforded to you under the Constitution um, and no more. But then also, I just love the idea that the forensics behind this pinning a physical, because we always say that, well, your computer searches were this. Well, we don't know who typed that in. That's the one thing about computer forensics is you can prove a thing happened on a computer, but you have to prove a player was in front of it doing it. That's much more difficult. So this was brilliant as far as I'm concerned. Only Stacy could have typed that letter. Then there was DNA evidence. Stacy's fingerprints alone were on the turkey baster. Um, and on the glass that contained the ethylene glycol antifreeze found in, you know, the ethylene glycol is the active ingredient that murdered Michael and murdered David. And in David's case, the DNA for David was only found on the tip of the turkey baster. So that turkey baster is telling us a story. Who was taking what was in the turkey baster and who was squeezing the ball at the other end? Oh, my gosh. And, of course, they tested the turkey baster and it had ethylene glycol in it. Stacy Castor was found guilty in Syracuse, New York, February 5th, 2009. The Onondaga County jury found Casey Case Castor, excuse me, guilty of two counts of murder in the second degree for killing both her husbands. Now they 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 actually did not try her for the killing of Michael Wallace because it was a different county. But she got second degree murder for killing her husband. Just listeners that she killed both her husbands attempted murder for uh, the attempted murder of her daughter Ashley Wallace and forgery of a will can you imagine how David Castor Jr. felt when he heard that you are guilty of forging that will my daddy loved me and he would have left me everything well and what's yeah I would I just now I'm wondering more about because he was Stacy, he's a victim too. His father was taken from him. Long yes, he's he a victim. Yeah. Yes, he's a victim. Oh, I feel bad. Meanwhile, but I'm happy he got this vindication. <laughs> I am too. And he was just a happy camper when I watched an interview outside the courtroom after the trial and the verdict. He was just saying, I just feel so happy. I'm the happiest man on the face of this earth. Aww. I'm so happy. You know, Stacy, meanwhile, is sitting stone-faced, because that's the only one she's got, throughout her trial, 
And even under cross-examination, she got up on the witness stand and she made that prosecutor so mad, just lying, lying, lying. And she, she has no tales about lying. She doesn't tell long stories that the, that the jury can see through. She just is just, you know, your fingerprints are on the glass, Stacy. Yours are the only fingerprints. Okay. She says, okay. How cold. Well, that means that you are the one who touched that glass. No, I didn't. So she's like a two-year-old here. Yes. <laughs> Chocolate all over her face. I didn't eat that cookie. Anyway, she's just, uh, yeah. I have never, ever, 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 ever seen anything so completely cold as watching Stacy Caster. I guess she finally got her own version of going into the law now that she's going to prison, just yeah. like she always wanted. Stacy Castro was sentenced to just over 51 years in prison. But there's just like a super great thing that happened at her sentencing because her daughter, Ashley and Bree got up and Ashley did the talking because she was the actual victim, uh, firsthand victim of this. And so listeners, you might have to um, really listen intently to our excerpt here, but this was her, uh, uh, Victim impact statement. Here we go.
she tried to hurt my sister. I didn't kill anyone and I didn't try to kill myself. I would never leave my sister a bed. I just don't understand how you can say you love someone and in the next breath try to kill them. I wish she had told me what was going on. She was my best friend and she took that all away just because she got scared. Well, I was scared too when I was in the hospital by myself and I wanted my mom. But she was the one that did this. I just want to sleep well at night without thinking about this. I'm not an angry person and I hate being mad at her. I want to forget her, but forgive her, but I'm not sure if I can. I just hope God can forgive her. She has listened to me this time. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, and this will be the last time I get a chance. As horrible as it makes me feel, this is goodbye, Mom. As hard as you tried, I survived, and I will survive because now I'm surrounded by people that love me. I'm going to good, do good things in this world despite making me in every sense of the word an orphan. Thank you, Judge Fahey, for letting me express my feelings. Listeners, you can watch that on YouTube, just Ashley uh, Wallace, Victim Impact Statement. It is just um, a lot of things, but the thing that I got out of it most was just how strong this girl is Yeah, uh, and how smart, and even though she's been crushed, she has not been vanquished. Yeah. Neither has her sister Bree. And there's more information. You can see pictures of them grown up now and and uh the whole thing just uh to me is made more hopeful by these two girls yeah. and what they're making of their lives. Meanwhile, Stacy Castro was rotting in prison, adamantly maintaining her innocence. Her mother continued to believe she was innocent. But then Stacy Castro died in prison of natural causes in 2016. I'm so sorry to sound rather happy about that. She was 48 years old. Actually, you know, sadist that she was. Now, I'm going to be st- sadistic. I wish that she would have been caged up a little bit longer but anyway she never saw her daughters again so just a note about how the daughters are doing uh after this happened uh um ashley and brie went to live with ashley's boyfriend's family they couldn't go to stacy's mother's house no because you know the mother thought that that would have been abuse you know, upon abuse because they would have that mother would have been telling him how that never happened and don't stop da 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 oh god well the mother probably said no because Ashley's the one who killed her father's maybe I, I mean and put my daughter in jail or whatever just, that's crazy blind. I also want to mention another podcaster named Dr. Todd Grande who I have uh, mentioned before in previous podcasts. Because he does analysis, uh, he's a PhD in psychology and and uh, trained psychologists, and um, he's really got good insight on things. And when he did the Stacey Castor case, of course, he talked about she's just cold as ice. So he said he found it deeply ironic 
that she would use antifreeze as a killing agent in uh, the ice cold killing of uh, both her husbands. And the fact that she spelled it Annie Free and pronounced it Annie Free, well, she's in prison now, so she's anti-free. And I just thought that was hilarious. I mean, really? And that's how I want to end our episode today. Um, Holy smokes. So today's episode, researched, written, and narrated by Bridget and Caroline, produced by Andy, our research, our research is solely based on public domain documents, including legal documents, articles, and books about our subject. Episodes are aired every other week. If you like us, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps us get on the uh, main road to having a lot of listeners. Tell your friends about us in person and by social media. When you make new friends, tell them about it. Um, we really appreciate that. All of these actions help new listeners find us. We thank you. We appreciate you. And don't forget to live and let live. Goodbye, Caroline. Bye.